Welcome to Rental Equip Talk Radio with your host, Donald Charbonnet. This is the radio program designed for industry insiders, as well as anyone interested in getting into the rental equipment industry. Now, here is Donald Charbonnet. Well, welcome to Wednesday in the Rental Equip Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Donald Charbonnet, broadcasting live from New Orleans. I typically would start off by saying a big thank you to the listen, hundreds of listeners we've had, but I wanted to let you know that we made a huge jump, and that last week we had over 1,500 listeners from several countries. So, as always, thank you and tell your friends and associates. Remember that November is Men's Health Awareness Month. If you haven't scheduled a checkup, get to it. It saved my life. Remember, you can always listen on demand after the show. Please let me know if there's a certain guest you'd like to have on the show, and I'll do my best to get them. We have some good ones coming up in the weeks to come. My email address is rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. My guest today, Larry Kay, known by many. Larry is the CEO of Script International, a second-generation rental entrepreneur with 30 years of experience in the construction industry. He is a proven leader with strong experience in emerging markets, working with business owners and corporate clients in over 30 countries. He's a team builder with strong analytical and teaching skills that enable opportunity visions to become sustainable reality. He's a former board member of the American Rental Association, and I'm proud to say a great friend. Larry, thanks for being a guest. Welcome aboard. Thank you, Don. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Well, good. Larry, I want to I want to start off, and we have a, a just a ton of stuff to cover today, but I want to start off with a bit more about your experience and just exactly what Script International not only is, but what has what it's done. Well, sure. My uh, background starts back in the uh, 70s with a family-owned rental company in Jacksonville, Florida, by the name of Duval Equipment. And uh, we rented uh, primarily construction equipment, everything from a cutoff saw to a... Uh, uh, large excavator, wheel loaders, backhoes, such as that. Uh, we were one of the early uh, folks to be uh, purchased in the late 80s. Uh, I went to work for the company that uh, ultimately became RSC. Um, started over again in 92 from scratch. Uh, Ten years later, sold that business to uh, United Rentals. And along the way, I got invited to uh, work as a subject matter expert with Caterpillar in Latin America and had an opportunity to work with four or five other industry veterans. And uh, over a few years' time working with Caterpillar, we uh, basically formed the company Script International, which... uh, was under contract with Caterpillar for about seven years, and then when that came to an end, we identified uh, other opportunities trying to enter into the rental business. And about a 15 year period, and Kamatsu, Ingersoll ran, uh, to name a few, Terex, and uh, so uh, Script has been in the uh, development business help manufacturers with their dealers. And then the last few years, uh, we've been working with uh, AED, Association of Equipment Distributors, and um, a couple years ago wrote a uh, 
rental management certification program that's available online with those guys and in various seminars. So kind of an evolution of uh, doing something that was local and then had an opportunity to move into a global uh, stage, and it's been uh, just an incredible journey and tremendous learning opportunity. So, so obviously, you've seen just about everything in the industry uh, to date. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with kind of a off the wall question uh, to you. And so, what do you see as a as a common thread about what companies don't know about themselves? Well, that's a that's a great question, Don. Uh, as a consultant, when I have come in and worked with the companies. Uh, what I generally find is most entrepreneurial uh, efforts are reactionary. Uh, they had an idea, they get into the market, keep reacting to opportunities, and um, and do that pretty successfully. Uh, however, over time, they don't really know where they are in the marketplace sometimes. Um, in other words, why do people do business with you? compared to all the other options that are out there in the marketplace. Because sometimes people have a different view of themselves than the customers do. And so what I find more times than not is business does not have any formal means of market feedback. So they don't really know what the customers think about them. They have an idea. So... uh, Ultimately, I think the beginning point is trying to understand your value proposition to the marketplace. What, what is it that you do better than any of your competitors? And that can be your uh, footprint. You may be more convenient than many. It could be the breadth of your fleet. It could be the talent on your team and the depth of knowledge. Uh, there's a variety of things, but I, I really believe that a rental store really needs to know, you know, why they're good and and um, and really capitalize on that. But that they get, they got to do a little soul searching on that and ask a bunch of customers why you do business with us. Right, right. And so you've seen, and and we both, you know, uh, with the evolution of of our careers. It used to be that you just uh, bought a bunch of equipment, you open your doors, and people would start coming in via Yellow Page advertising or whatever the case may be. So as, as you've been involved with getting so many companies started, uh, how do you see the whole sales process starting? So I'll uh, break it down into two pieces. If I was a brand-new business, uh, the point you just made is exactly what a lot of people have done. They've seen a successful rental company somewhere, and they kind of take notes as to what inventory those people have, and then they go rent a a space or buy a piece of property in a building, and they put all that gear in there, and they expect that people are just going to start showing up and rent that equipment. And um, I don't think anything could be farther from the truth. unless you happen to be in some remote market where there is no one doing that at all, customers already have relationships. And if you're just starting up, you're going to have to have a compelling argument and reason for them to leave their current vendor to come do business with you. 
So I advise startups to identify their market, customer segments, before they ever buy a piece of equipment. And that means going around talking and find out what it is they do, what kind of equipment do they use. Um, I'm a big believer that you need to offer complete solutions for customers. And so let's just say, let's take for an example, compaction equipment. Having a couple of plate compactors and a rammer doesn't um, mean compaction. I mean, you kind of have to have a full line of compaction equipment and multiple units. You're really not in that business. And if you're in the earth moving business, when somebody digs their they're probably going to have to put their back. And then having compaction equipment, for instance, available starts to make a complete solution. And then if you're down in New Orleans or Florida where I grew up, you might want to have pumps available as well because when they dig the hole, they're probably going to hit water. So (laughs) that's what I mean about having a complete solution is you need to see your business through the eyes of the customer and how he thinks about doing a project. And then you're much better prepared to spend your money correctly when you do decide to invest in fleet because you absolutely can spend money on equipment and get it wrong. You can, maybe the customer absolutely thinks he needs four-wheel drive and you buy two-wheel drive. Or maybe he wants track machines and you buy rubber tire ones or or whatever. So uh, talk to the market if you're if you're just getting started. Uh, it'll keep you from making some uh, significant uh, investment mistakes. Right. At that, I'm going to break back to Voice America and take a breather. Have you tried the new generation of Genie XC Booms? The XC stands for extra capacity, and with new technology in the design, the Genie XC Booms carry a higher load with dual capacity capability, compliant to global industry standards. Save time while you increase productivity. The new Genie XC Booms are common in design, parts, and accessories for easier servicing. For more information about the Genie family of XC Boom lifts, visit genielift.com. That's genielift.com. Genie Genuine Parts undergo testing on long-term durability and reliability, which means higher equipment resale values and warranties for you. You don't want to waste time and money on generic parts or even counterfeit parts, especially in the long run. Genie Genuine Parts are factory fitted and field tested to the highest of standards, which means more machine uptime. We also have free ground freight on orders of $750 or more from our two parts warehouses. Go to genielift.com to find out more. Genie Aerial Pros is one of the most comprehensive industry websites focused on safety and standards, service, and new products and applications. The Genie Aerial Pros site features experts in aerial and rental markets with five decades of experience and shared knowledge. You'll also get information on upcoming industry and company events, videos, training, and more. The Genie Aerial Pros website is available on a wide variety of platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or through our own website at genielift.com. The Genie Z60-37FE Boom Lift is at the forefront of true hybrid technology. It is actually two machines in one that can be used for both indoor and outdoor applications. 
The Genie Difference is a lower cost of operation and cleaner performance. The Genie 60-37FE Boom Lift is more fuel efficient, driven by high-efficiency AC motors, which means lower emissions too. Check out the Genie FE Difference today. Visit GenieLift.com. This is Rental Equip Talk Radio with Donald Charbonnet. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. That's rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. And we're back. Let's just talk about the startup for, for a moment. As these companies start to mature and uh, and get known in the, in the marketplace and a a question that always comes up uh, in, in, in a lot of the discussions we have in the show are, are what are your thoughts on the independents versus the majors? And at what point does an independent really need a salesman rather than just hanging out a shingle? It's a really good point. If I think it comes down to fleet utilization. And if you have really high fleet utilization, and you're able to do that with uh, without having the salesman, and maybe you've just got this uh, really convenient location, and everybody knows who you are. You're well established. Uh, good for you. Uh, going back to the example that I gave, with here we have a company like customers used to come here, don't come anymore. Well, how are you going to find out? why they left. I mean, they're not going to call you up and tell you that they're now doing business with one of the big boys uh, and they've left you as an independent. They just go away. And so I believe the salesman performs a couple of different functions. One of those is not only the relationship building with the customer, but they can bring back market intelligence. And market intelligence includes what is my competition doing for my at I'm not doing and how does my customer think about that um, and so the rental salesman should be bringing back information to the company that says you know here's what's going on with pricing uh, XYZ competitor just got a whole bunch of new lifts and here's the promo they're running on that or by the way, their damage protection plan um, is actually pretty lucrative and, and customers like that. Um, so I, I think a salesman is significant for getting market data back and then trying, so it enables me as a business owner to adjust my pricing or my policies to try to stay competitive. And, and this may be kind of a, uh, I guess a starting point question, but it, but at what point does a uh, company uh, find the need to even have a salesman? Is it a certain? Is there an investment amount? Uh, have we reached a certain amount of revenue? And if we're going to take it to another step, do I need somebody on the outside uh, pulling in the business? So that's a that's a great question, and for me, it always gets back to to math. So I'll, I'll just use some simple math here. If, if I had to pay a salesman 
sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year, and then I've got his truck and his cell phone and his expenses, uh, his health insurance, and so on and so forth. Let's just for round numbers say that that is a hundred thousand dollars, probably more. Um, so what I have to think about is how much available inventory do I have that's not being used? In other words, if this person came on board and they were effective in helping me grow the business, more or less, do I have enough available fleet to support them? And so if, if I was just trying to get their hard, his hard costs back, at $100,000, and again, for simple math, I'm going to use 50% essential utilization. Divided by the original cost. So if I'm trying to recover $100,000 um, of hard cost, I would need $200,000 worth of equipment at original cost to stay busy, to basically cover his costs. So the, the point here is either, A, I've got available fleet or more, and I've got the capacity in my credit lines and whatever so that they can be successful. Because um, that's a key thing is a salesman to go out and work and and if he's successful at all, you're probably going to have to continue to invest in fleet. Right. And, and so as we both look at it as a salesman as part of our marketing program and marketing tools, what are your thoughts about websites these days? Are they equally important? They absolutely are. Um, I mean, you and I are of this uh, generation that uh, we didn't grow up using uh, – smartphones and such as that, but I have just seen some recent data working with a client that I believe the number was approaching 60% of the people that go to this, go to websites today are doing an office. And so the younger generation, you've got project managers and foremans and superintendents that are, they could be 30 to 45 years old, and they are all about technology. And so they're looking for convenience, and they want information, and they expect to get it now. And many of these people really don't like talking on the telephone. So they expect to find what they're looking for on their website. They want to know where you are in the universe, and uh, they want to know what your rates are generally. Um they want to be an informed buyer. So if you don't have a website uh, uh, or you're, it's, you know, dated, uh, I will say from a marketing perspective, uh, it says a lot about your company. Um, this is a sidebar. Uh, not too long ago, I was working with a, a large equipment dealer, Komatsu dealer, and we went to see a customer. Mind you, the Komatsu dealers have been around for years, uh, millions of dollars worth of inventory, huge facility, and the customer was giving him negative feedback on his 
website and was asking, why is this so clunky? It takes me so many clicks to get the information I'm looking for, and that's frustrating to me. (laughs) And so to think of your multi-million dollar investment, and it comes down to the customer's opinion of how easy are you to do business with, and can I get information through my phone the way I want to, that was a real eye-opener. Right. And and obviously with websites, uh, depending on the way that you set them up, there's a, some valuable information that you can get from the number of hits, even right down to what page, uh, you know, potential visitors are looking at. Right. Absolutely. I have uh, also recently been working with a company that uh, they can put something on your website that catches the URL from whoever's coming to your website, and they have this large database of business URLs across the country. And so when... You there? I know we're kind of having some technical stuff. You still there, Larry? I I am. Sorry. Okay. about that? Good. Hello? Yeah, we got you. Okay, sorry about that. So, so yes, the, there are some incredible technology out there now that you can embed on your website, and you can know the traffic, and if it's a business, you can even know what business came and looked at your site and what page they went to and how long they were there. Okay. And so along some of those those same lines, let's shift away from the from the website situation and let's go straight to the uh, the software systems that people are using today. And uh, they offer so many different management reports. So what do you what do you think are some of the the most important ones or the most important uh, management report that somebody should be getting uh, from from their IT systems? So. That's, again, a great question. Um, Whenever I talk to a small business owner, I ask them, what are the four or five numbers that you look at every day to find out if your business is doing okay or not? And for me, the number one has always been my financial utilization. So I have assembled a fleet of equipment that's got an original cost to it. And I know that all the categories of equipment perform at different levels, but I have a desired mix, a desired outcome of that um, that fleet. And so to me, it's sort of like you getting your, uh, uh, maybe your IRA uh, report back from your investment company every month or every quarter, and if you are hoping to return, you look, and as long as it's uh, close to 8% or more, you know you've got some winners and some losers, but but it's performing the way you expected. And I believe that a rental fleet is exactly the same way, that if I'm looking for what I would expect probably 55 to 60% financial utilization on a fleet, then if I'm experiencing that, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good that, that we are doing okay. 
right? Number starts to go south. Then I want to dig in and I want to find out which groups are not performing. And then the next thing I'm going to look at is the time utilization. So time utilization, some folks uh, think that that is a, a key indicator, and I believe it is, but it, is, it does not describe whether you are making money. It describes how hard your fleet is working. So right. I've been involved in a few uh, acquisitions, and usually what the investor wants to know is here's the pipeline of revenue that the company's earning, but how can the current fleet produce? So I would, uh, I think you need to know both of those numbers. Right. What is the financial utilization of the fleet, and how hard is the fleet working to produce that? Well, and, and along those same lines, I would uh, talk to me about if the if you're Fleet management numbers are coming in. It's also pointing you in the direction of future purchases and also your customer segment as to uh, as who's bringing in where the business is coming from, if it's more aerial versus earth moving or whatever the case may be. Absolutely correct. So uh, you should have a, uh, a rule of thumb that I have always used is uh, I, I don't really believe that you can uh, sustain time utilization uh, much more, much north of 70% time utilization. It's, it's just really hard. And so if I have any particular group of equipment, whether it's scissor lifts or boom lifts or mini excavators, whatever it might be, if I start to get time utilization in the 60s or high 60s, what what the market is telling me is they like what I have. They like the price that I have and, and everything about what I'm doing. And so at that point, I can do one of two things. If I'm optimistic about the way the market is going, it would suggest to me that I can reinvest. I can add some more. If I'm not so sure then what I can do is begin to tweak my rental rate up because maybe the reason that everything's staying busy, it is possible that maybe I'm cheaper than everybody in the area and I don't want to be. So I do think that uh, time utilization does lend itself to your purchasing decisions. And then when it's not working, then you're looking at why – why are the markets that should be renting this thing, why are they not renting from me? And uh, that's a place to start to try to fix it. Well, and, and also, if your fleet utilization is too high, you're also putting a, a lot of extra wear and tear on that equipment. So uh, there's a point of saturation, don't you think? Yeah, yes, that's correct. So my, my feeling is, um, I mean, Part of our business is also knowing when to sell equipment and, um, you know, when to add. Uh, so you really kind of have to get into the life cycle of when I buy this particular machine, how many hours per year do I expect to be on that? Um, you know, in the rental business, we want to get paid for time, time out, not time used. And so... 
there are some industries that you will rent to, and they are in high production. And so when they get a machine from you, they're going to really negotiate the price real low, and they're also going to use your machine all the time. Uh, that's not necessarily a desirable spot to be in um, for somebody that's just, you know, seven days a week, uh, six hours a day they're using your machine. Um, you're going to have to roll that one faster um, than, uh, than most. Yeah, because then at the same time, if you're watching your maintenance costs on a specific item, that too will tell you whether it's time to, you know, if, you, if you're putting too much money into it, it may be time to start phasing that out and, and replacing it, right? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. So I typically uh, expect to see somewhere for the first couple of years of a machine, maybe somewhere between 2 and 4% of its rental revenue as being uh, maintenance and repair costs. And then as it ages a little bit, you might get up in the five or six. And then, um, you know, with a four or five-year-old machine, maybe you're at six to eight percent. But if anything starts going north of uh, eight to ten percent of revenue, um, in most cases, um, it that requires some uh, another look and and maybe it's time to get rid of that or pick another brand well and, and along the maintenance side just to shift gears for a second away from sales what percentage of rental revenue do you see being put back into into maintenance is it is it six eight ten percent well that that does have a lot to do with the kind of equipment that you have certainly ground engaging equipment things with tracks uh, is going to be more. Um, you know, you can take items like mini excavators, for instance, because they got tracks, but they really don't eat any parts at all. You know, I mean, you can make a lot of money with those machines. Uh, other things that are running back and forth on tracks, uh, dozers, uh, they will, they will uh, drive maintenance costs up. So, I guess if I had to put an average on that, I'd probably have to say somewhere between six and eight percent annually, as a rule of thumb. Okay, okay, and and I think that's I think as important a number as anything, and that's what causes uh, younger fleets versus older fleets. Would you say? Yeah, the, managing the age of your fleet uh, today market, I think, is really critical cost. But um, competition, uh, I, I pay attention to uh, quarterly reports by some of the companies, and for the most part, they're about 46 or 48 months is their average age of fleet. And okay. so that may put pressure on an independent that would actually like to hold on to their fleet longer, but then when they go in the marketplace, the market says, well, why should I rent yours at maybe even a higher price and yours is older? You don't even have the current model. Right. So uh, it, it does put pressure. Uh, average age of fleet is a, uh, that's a key component of staying competitive in the, in the market. Okay. Larry, we're going to uh, stop and let you catch your breath here for a moment. And uh, very pleased to have our sponsor today, uh, Genie, a Terex company. Uh, if you're buying, as I always say, buy blue. 
And so we're going to turn it back to Voice America for a couple of minute break. Genie Genuine Parts undergo testing on long-term durability and reliability, which means higher equipment resale values and warranties for you. You don't want to waste time and money on generic parts or even counterfeit parts, especially in the long run. Genie Genuine Parts are factory fitted and field tested to the highest of standards, which means more machine uptime. We also have free ground freight on orders of $750 or more from our two parts warehouses. Go to genielift.com to find out more. Genie Aerial Pros is one of the most comprehensive industry websites focused on safety and standards, service, and new products and applications. The Genie Aerial Pros site features experts in aerial and rental markets with five decades of experience and shared knowledge. You'll also get information on upcoming industry and company events, videos, training, and more. The Genie Aerial Pros website is available on a wide variety of platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or through our own website at genielift.com. The Genie Z60-37FE Boom Lift is at the forefront of true hybrid technology. It is actually two machines in one that can be used for both indoor and outdoor applications. The Genie difference is a lower cost of operation and cleaner performance. The Genie 60-37FE Boom Lift is more fuel efficient, driven by high efficiency AC motors, which means lower emissions too. Check out the Genie FE difference today. Visit genielift.com. Have you tried the new generation of Genie XC Booms? The XC stands for extra capacity, and with new technology in the design, the Genie XC Booms carry a higher load with dual capacity capability, compliant to global industry standards. Save time while you increase productivity. The new Genie XC Booms are common in design, parts, and accessories for easier servicing. For more information about the Genie family of XC Boom Lifts, visit genielift.com. That's genielift.com. This is Rental Equipped Talk Radio with Donald Charbonnet. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. That's rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. And we're back. Uh, today's guest is Larry Kay. He's the CEO of Script International. And uh, glad to, to uh, say that he is a 30-year veteran of the construction equipment rental industry. Uh, Larry, before we go into the second half of the show, I want to make sure our listeners know how to get in touch with you. Certainly, Don. Uh, I have a website that is www.script.com. S-C-R-I-P-T-I-N-T-L dot com. And you can uh, go there, and my contact information is there, and you can see some of the bios of my colleagues. I still have some uh, associates in Latin America, and another gentleman here in uh, in U.S. that helps me. Uh, so uh, we're available to uh, consult or advise or just uh, communicate on the phone if that's what's necessary. So uh, we would love to uh, try to help your audience. Great, great. Thank you for that. Uh, I want to jump into the next uh, subject, which is always a a great sensitive one. 
uh, and that is rental rates. And uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, outside sales reps. And what are your thoughts about should an outside rep hand out a rate sheet or even to the point of should you post your rates on a website? Uh, a, good, a great question. Um, so, so as I look around uh, and I look at some of the national rental companies out there, in uh, in most all cases, they do publish a uh, all their rates, uh, and but that I think would basically be their book rate, and so their their best customers are getting some price other than that one. Uh, but it does give people a frame of reference. I am uh, of the belief that uh, when I go to see a prospective client, rather than tell them that I'm going to give them, you know, 10% across the board discount or something like that, what I'm trying to identify is four or five key things that they rent a lot. And they are price sensitive to those things because they're the thing that rent the most. It's almost like somebody going to the grocery store because they find ground beef on sale and that's what they're going for. And then on the way to the cash register, they pick up a whole bunch of other stuff that they really don't care what the price is. It just goes with the ground beef. <laughs> and I believe that rental works exactly the same way that uh, you go see a customer and you inquire uh, because it's possible for you to actually embarrass yourself with pricing. Um, so I inquire first before I throw pricing around because uh, I think it'd be easier to just kind of back away from the situation and go, you know what, I I'm not sure we're going to be able to help you <laughs> because you understand the competitive situation. But I, I do think that uh, for the average independent rental store, it's a good idea to post your rates uh, on your website uh, because that's what people want information and, and do not put them through the struggle of call for special pricing or anything like that. Uh, you just need to make your commercial accounts know that if uh, – if you've got some key things that you use on a regular basis, we want to be aggressive and try to give you the best price possible. So, so what you know, I guess along the same lines. So, what do you? What are the drivers uh, that uh, that pose different discounts to different customers? So, let me uh, give you an ex example. Um, let's first of all talk about what is the cost of goods for a rental machine. And so uh, that consists of two things. That is your depreciation cost and your maintenance and repair cost. So if you have a foot boom sitting by the fence and it's not being rented, the store is still going to absorb the depreciation cost. Right. And that depreciation cost is probably going to be about one and a half to two percent of the cost of that machine per month. And so, if your advertised rate on that machine is three and a half or four percent, my hard costs are two. Okay. So, if a customer says, you know, um, you need to get I need a stronger price. 
the reality to the rental store is the only thing that's going to be different is the variable cost, which is your maintenance repair cost. You're already eating the depreciation cost by not even renting it. It's sitting there. So uh, I believe that you actually have a lot of room to uh, to wiggle. Uh, I do not believe that anybody makes a living being the low-cost provider. Um, you know, you have to have incredible fleet, lots of depth, and buying all that kind of stuff. And independent, they cannot win that game. But the point I'm making is sometimes they think, gee, I gave him a 10% discount. Well, um, the other option is it can just sit there and you get nothing. Uh, so rental is honestly one of the most profitable things that you can be engaged in. And uh, so I would encourage you to do a little bit of math and look at your hard costs versus what you uh, might identify as the floor. What's the lowest I could ever rent this thing for? And so as, as we both have seen and, and our listeners have all also seen some of the cycles, I will call it, uh, when construction was low and the yard started filling up, uh, is, is something better than nothing when something's sitting there better or worse? So uh, I'm of the belief that uh, sometimes, um, so when I go to see a commercial customer or something and I discover that uh, here's one piece of equipment that they rent a lot. Okay, they're going to judge my entire business on whether I get close enough on the price of this. Either I match it or I get close enough. They're going to make a judgment about me. Um, and usually it's on things that rent for longer periods of time. You know, say, you know, a scissor lift for three or four months, or maybe it's a... A uh, 45 foot articulated boom. It could be a uh, 12,000 pound mini excavator, what, whatever that item might be. Um, I do think you have to show some competitiveness. Now, the market today in most places is so vibrant that I'm finding that customers are more interested in do you have it available? Is it reliable? And can you get it to me? I don't find it to be a huge price-sensitive market right now because there's so many jobs going on uh, and and time is money. And so people are just, you know, can you get it to me? That's the key thing. Right, right. At that, I'm going to break back to Voice America and take a breather. Have you tried the new generation of Genie XC Booms? The XC stands for extra capacity, and with new technology in the design, the Genie XC Booms carry a higher load with dual capacity capability, compliant to global industry standards. Save time while you increase productivity. The new Genie XC Booms are common in design, parts, and accessories for easier servicing. For more information about the Genie family of XC Boom lifts, visit GenieLift.com. That's GenieLift.com. Genie Genuine Parts undergo testing on long-term durability and reliability, which means higher equipment resale values and warranties for you. You don't want to waste time and money on generic parts or even counterfeit parts, especially in the long run. Genie Genuine Parts are factory fitted and field tested to the highest of standards, which means more machine uptime, 
We also have free ground freight on orders of $750 or more from our two parts warehouses. Go to genielift.com to find out more. Genie Aerial Pros is one of the most comprehensive industry websites focused on safety and standards, service, and new products and applications. The Genie Aerial Pros site features experts in aerial and rental markets with five decades of experience and shared knowledge. You'll also get information on upcoming industry and company events, videos, training, and more. The Genie Aerial Pros website is available on a wide variety of platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or through our own website, at genielift.com. The Genie Z60-37FE Boom Lift is at the forefront of true hybrid technology. It is actually two machines in one that can be used for both indoor and outdoor applications. The Genie difference is a lower cost of operation and cleaner performance. The Genie 60-37FE Boom Lift is more fuel efficient, driven by high efficiency AC motors, which means lower emissions too. Check out the Genie FE difference today. Visit GenieLift.com. This is Rental Equipped Talk Radio with Donald Charbonnet. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to RentalEquippedTalkRadio at gmail.com. That's RentalEquippedTalkRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. And we're back. We've been talking a lot about equipment and, and sales personnel along the way. Uh, and I want to shift gears a little bit into some sales management uh, conversation. And so you've had the mom and pop. It's grown. It's got a couple of salesmen now. Uh, what are your thoughts about actually managing a sales team? So this in most cases starts to become a little bit of a struggle for a independent, uh, rental company. Oftentimes the store owner, um, uh, doesn't have any, um, professional sales training. And so they have an idea what the salesman is supposed to do. And, uh, and then it becomes a little convoluted about how the salesman, conveys to the owner or the store manager what they did all day. And uh, oftentimes it turns into a call report, a flat file or something, and somebody's got to read that. And it is quite possible for a salesman to pencil whip something. And um, so that's a, that's a real problem. Uh, Or maybe they uh, say your job is to go out and open up new accounts. And uh, they may be going by the uh, local Baptist church and and meet the maintenance guy and get him to fill out a form, and he's a new account. But the reality is (laughs) he's not going to be much of a new account. And so I think what you measure the person on is a a big deal and how how you get them to report to you. So there's some different types of software out there now that uh, is pretty good that a salesman can uh, put their information in and then it kind of rolls up to the management and they can kind of see what the day consisted of. Uh, I do think, I think active accounts is a really big deal. So let's just say you had five or 600, maybe you have more um, credit accounts or uh, charge accounts at your store. Um, 
unless you're running, you know, over 50% of those people active. And so active for me would be spending money in the last 90 days. Uh, I think the salesman is responsible for bringing in new, new accounts, uh, driving as much activity with the current customer base, and then uh, tagging people that I would consider to be dormant accounts. They were doing business with us, and now they're not. And and those are three key areas that I think a salesman should be compensated on in addition to driving revenue. So are, are those the things that you would say uh, are the biggest expectations from the salesman, or are, are there more than that? I know earlier you said market feedback and, and discussed that a little bit. So. Yeah, so market feedback is is uh, really important. We we did not discuss. I'll just touch on it lightly here about market segmentation. Um, if if I'm working with a mature business, they've been around a while, and I ask them, "Who are you doing business with?" They generally give me the names of a few customers that are their key accounts. But if I ask them, "What market segments are you really doing well with?" Oftentimes, they don't know the answer to that, and that starts with going through your database and at your master record file for every customer, uh, put them in some kind of category, and you can make these categories yourself. It can be plumbers. It can be electricians. It could be site contractors, whatever, but go through there and do your entire customer base. Put them in a, in a market segment. Now go run your reports um, according to revenue generated by these segments, and it will generally uh, turn the lights on for you to kind of see, oh, my gosh, I had no idea we were doing this well with plumbers, but, hey, I've only got three electricians that are really spending any money with me. Why is that? And so it will start to help give shape. And then I believe that the salesman should be responsible for uh, growing particular market segments that you have inventory that matches up. In other right. words, if you, if you don't have things like welders and you don't have uh, maybe carry deck cranes or some things, then I don't know that he needs to spend time trying to chase steel erectors because you don't line up well with them. So you have to look at the fleet of equipment that I have and uh, who does this match up well with and then focus on that market segment. And, and an issue that I've, I've come across a number of times with, with different sales teams that I've worked with and, and on, the, on the subject of uh, targeting customer base, has always become an issue about uh, do you do it by territory? Do you do it by market segment? Do you do it by who knows who? I mean, I've, I've heard of companies not allowing Joe to cross uh, the Mississippi River in this city, go call on people over there. That's Tom's territory. And I think that there's some uh, miscommunication, some business loss there. What are your thoughts about it? Oh, boy, you have you've uh, <laughs> you've hit a really good nerve for me on that one. Uh, I, I believe that that we are in a business that really is built around relationships and I have seen companies that uh, draw the hard line in the sand and uh, 
this particular company, they love my salesman, Steve. And then when they take a job that's two blocks on the other side of the road, we're not allowed to let Steve go over there anymore. Right. Well, that's, that is, uh, in my opinion, really foolish. Uh, so, so I, I really do believe that in the sales business, regardless of what kind of industry you're in, that matchups are really important. So matchups are the nature of a company, the people that work there, their sophistication, their expectations, and I need to have my best person, guy or gal, that lines up with them the best to give them the best service. And and then we got a match. And so I think it's sort of like uh, if you're a coach for a uh, basketball team or whatever, every Saturday we have to line up differently according to who we're playing. And so I think as a sales manager, we need to be really, really sensitive to our matchups so that we're getting the most we could possibly get out of a particular customer, regardless of where they are. Um, right. And, and a little so, bit kind of along those same tracks as I've seen people, salesmen who jump ship to another company that the customer goes with the salesman rather than stay with the company that's been supporting them. And, and so, so, yeah. So Go ahead. Yeah, let me catch on that. And that a really is a really key thing. So, I have been working with a client recently, and we're building out a uh, CRM package uh, to to take all the tribal knowledge that we know about all of our customers and put it in a database. And the goal is to create multiple contacts within any particular company and get them to know multiple people in our company because you're exactly correct. I can be really deep with uh, one salesman and he's really connected with one superintendent. And when that guy leaves the company, all of a sudden nobody knows us there and we're starting all over. Or if I lose my salesman, then there goes those relationships. So um, I, I think it is uh, the responsibility of the rental company to build out additional relationships um, you know, have a store manager ride with the salesman, have the owner go meet some different people, uh, so that you, you get some depth and breadth into your customers. And it's not just riding on one relationship. Well, and, and we both know as uh, most salesmen think with their wallets, should I say, uh, sure. what are your thoughts, you know, when, when territorial issues come in, you know, how do you think salesmen should be compensated? Cause if they can't cross the river, you know, it's going to affect their income. Yeah, that's, I mean to tell you, I really believe that this is also something that needs to be looked at uh, more than uh, once a year is um, because the market shifts. And, and if you if you took a particular geography and let's say you had uh, two salesmen, uh, the chances of the uh, work being evenly distributed is not going to happen. And so one guy's making a lot of money and probably has more than he can say grace over. And the other guy is restricted. So who's losing there? Well, the company's losing company, there right. because we're not spreading our resources correctly. And so I think that's something that a sales manager or an owner really has to stay in touch with, and part of the way he does that 
is looking to see where his equipment is being delivered all the time. I mean, literally uh, plotted out on a map so that you can get some sense of where are the jobs and where is it moving to so that I can get all of my best resources over in that area. Um, because salesmen need to stay motivated. I can tell you that they, you need to continue to hang the carrot in front of them so that they will reach. So in terms of goal for them, I'm not a fan of, uh, just kind of a linear progression. You get uh, two or two and a half or three percent on, on all revenues. I think it should be stair step and incentive driven so that Ultimately, what you want to have happen is the profitability of the company uh, and the salesman reward happen at the exact same time. If if the company's making money, but the salesman is, is not reflecting in his paycheck, he gets disinterested. Right. If the salesman somehow is making a lot of money off top-line revenue and the business is struggling, that's not right either. So right. Um, I, I just... I think you have to be a little bit more sophisticated with your comp programs uh, to make sure guys are doing blocking and tackling and they're not just living off of uh, one particular honey hole, so to speak, and uh, working half a day and they're killing it, but they're really not adding uh, additional customers or preparing for the day that that job finishes. All right. Larry, we're about to wrap up in just about a couple of minutes, so I have uh, one quick question uh, before we do that. and so, should the owner act as a sales manager? Mm, uh, <laughs> in in most cases, for a small business, I think sometimes it does it does happen that way. I will say that's a challenge for most uh, small business owners because they probably have not been in that role before. Um, and they may not know, or maybe they did it 25 years ago. And uh, what's going out on the street today, they may not be in touch with that. So I, I won't say it's impossible. Most companies, do, most small companies do not have the means to have a uh, sales manager and then a salesman, unless you've got multiple branches or something like that. So what I would suggest is the owner um get to a few seminars on sales management or read some books or get some training in that area so that they can uh, support the salesman and not get frustrated with them, but also have reasonable expectations. Uh, Some owners are a little bit too soft and some owners are uh, expecting too much. Right. Okay. That kind of, that answers my question. Let's put it like that. Uh, so we're going to wrap up, and I really want to thank Larry uh, for being a guest on our show today. Larry, I hope you come back and join us again. I, I would love the opportunity. There's a, a, a lot to share here, and uh, would love to uh, continue and encourage your listener base. Very good. I'd like to thank everyone for the uh, very encouraging emails I've been receiving. Keep them coming. Remember, you can always listen on demand. I uh, hope some of the answers helped or provoke more questions. Next week's guest is Mr. James Ricker. He's the president of J. Griffin Ricker & Associates, a major consultant in construction industry insurer uh, to our industry. Uh, You won't want to miss it. My quote for the day from Peter Drucker, well-known business guru and kind of 
capitalizes on what Larry's been talking about. If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. If you'd like to be a guest, uh, suggest a guest advertise, just uh, keep writing to rentalequiptalkradio at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for spending some of your valuable time with me today. Uh, be safe, good renting, and uh, from the whole Charbonnet family to all of you, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Rental Equip Talk Radio. Be sure to join your host, Donald Charbonnet, next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week. Genie Genuine Parts undergo testing on long-term durability and reliability, which means higher equipment resale values and warranties for you. You don't want to waste time and money on generic parts or even counterfeit parts, especially in the long run. Genie Genuine Parts are factory fitted and field tested to the highest of standards, which means more machine uptime. We also have free ground freight on orders of $750 or more from our two parts warehouses. Go to genielift.com to find out more. Genie Aerial Pros is one of the most comprehensive industry websites focused on safety and standards, service, and new products and applications. The Genie Aerial Pros site features experts in aerial and rental markets with five decades of experience and shared knowledge. You'll also get information on upcoming industry and company events, videos, training, and more. The Genie Aerial Pros website is available on a wide variety of platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or through our own website at genielift.com. The Genie Z60-37FE Boom Lift is at the forefront of true hybrid technology. It is actually two machines in one that can be used for both indoor and outdoor applications. The Genie difference is a lower cost of operation and cleaner performance. The Genie 60-37FE Boom Lift is more fuel efficient, driven by high-efficiency AC motors, which means lower emissions too. Check out the Genie FE difference today. Visit genielift.com. Have you tried the new generation of Genie XC Booms? The XC stands for extra capacity, and with new technology in the design, the Genie XC Booms carry a higher load with dual capacity capability, compliant to global industry standards. Save time while you increase productivity. The new Genie XC Booms are common in design, parts, and accessories for easier servicing. For more information about the Genie family of XC Boom Lifts, visit genielift.com. That's genielift.com.